Hi, this is Michael Buffer, and welcome to the Box Hard Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Mikey Garcia. It's the monster from the swamps, Regis Ruguru Program. Hey, what's up? This is King Carlos Molina, former IBF world champ. This is Michael, the bounty hunter, 2012 Olympian and your people's champ. This is Charlie Edwards, flyweight champion of the world. This is Fast Eddie Chambers, and you're listening to the Box Hard Podcast with my main man, Joey Coastman. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 296 of the Box Hard Podcast. I'm your host, Joey Coastman. I'm joined as ever by, it is, of course, the former heavyweight world title challenger himself, Mr. Fast Eddie Chambers. Eddie, how are we doing, my friend? Good, my man. Real good. How are you? Really good, man. Always good when speaking with you. Like I say, episode 296. We're going to get into it here. We're going to start at um, the Auditorio Benito Juarez in Los, Mich- uh, Los Mochis, Sinaloa, Mexico. Over here, one fight to mention. It did end up going ahead. Jose Uzcategui, now 31-4. and four. It was a KO for him in round two against Jaime Hernandez, who's now 9-5. and five. Um, A bit of a kind of get-back fight, I guess, for Uzcategui, who is scheduled to be boxing David Benavidez. And I, I don't think it's September. I think it's late August, if I'm not mistaken. So just a little run out win for him before the fight happens um moving out now to the eagles community arena in newcastle tyne and Ware, united kingdom over here on the undercard good debut for cyrus patterson now one and oh um solomon dakers with a win a fourth round tko against alvaro torero he's now two and oh dakers um alan babich with a win against damian chambers it's definitely no relation to eddie he was stopped in three rounds i think that speaks for itself there um alan babich now seven and oh with seven ko's whatever you say about the guy very marketable very exciting that's for sure um chambers down in the first round, I think he was given a count, um, and then yeah, taken out in round three. Uh, Joe Laws with a win, it was untelevised, but he's 10 and 1 now. He returned with a points win over six against Chris Adaway, who racked up his 70th loss. Um, easy win there for Joe Laws, complete shutout, and I couldn't believe how close the odds were um, on that fight. Unbelievable. Um, getting on to the two main fights, Thomas Patrick Ward with win number 30. He's got that one draw, a unanimous decision win over 10 rounds against E.D. Mercado, who's now 17 and 6 with six draws. Um, you know, he needs to step up, Thomas Patrick Ward. I've said it for a long time. He was given a count himself in the fifth round. Not sure it should have been a count. Um, I think it was a little bit of a slip, but it didn't matter. He pretty much won every round aside from that. Um, just relatively easy win, just as expected for him. But like I say, he needs to step up. I am um, in a little bit of fear that perhaps he has wasted so much time getting to 31 fights without really taking a, a big risk that I think when he does move on to world, you know, world level, at, at, whenever that's going to be, by the way, at this point, it's going to be in 2030 but when he gets there he might be burnt out by that time um he's took a lot of punches not that he takes them every fight but over the course of those 31 fights he's had some tricky moments especially against thomas asomba and he is nowhere near world level so um high hopes for the likes of thomas patrick ward when he first turned over but i'm not sure he's going to be able to fulfill that that you know that promise that he once had um i hope i'm wrong moving on to the main event this was a fight that i stayed away from in terms of putting any bets on because i knew what could happen and you know what 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 we thought could happen ended up happening a huge upset um lewis ritson now 21 and 2 he was tko'd in round 10 against Jeremias Ponce, he's now 28-0 Ponce, the Argentinian fighter. Turns out he really was the goods. Um, Ritson down three times in the 10th prior to the stoppage. Horrendous refereeing, by the way, from Steve Gray. The towel got thrown in. He picked the towel up off the canvas and threw it back out and allowed the fight to continue. Um, Have you seen that done before, Eddie? Honestly, I I think they'll have rules like where maybe... You don't actually throw the towel in. You just stand up on the ring apron and you show that the fighter's done. So uh, that's probably what it was in the situation where you're 
Now he threw literally it in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he threw it in, and the referee picked it up off the canvas and threw it back right. out. Yeah. Right. Well, that's what I'm saying. That's probably why he did it, because it wasn't, like, supposed to be a part of the whole process. It was supposed to be something different, so he kind of did that. But you're still supposed to honor what that means. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, you're supposed to still stop the fight. So him throwing it out and not actually doing what he was supposed to do, yeah, that is bad. Yeah, I think he tried to explain his actions after the fight, and he felt, and he was kind of not arguing with, with the corner, but he was saying that I was closer to the action, I felt he could continue. It's not his call, I don't think so, in that situation. Um, really bad error, and I didn't like to see it, because what happened is the guy took even more punches that he didn't need to take, and then he stopped it anyway, about 30 seconds later. So I didn't like that, but really, really interesting fighter, Jeremiah um, Nicholas Ponce. Like I say, 28-0. and 0. He's kind of managed to get there without fighting anyone of note. Um, good win for him over Ritson there. It was a final eliminator to become mandatory for Josh Taylor. And he seems to have a good chin. He seems to have an incredible work rate. And he is tough. He was all over Ritson. And he hit him with a bad body shot in the first round. And from that point onwards, Ritson said himself he really didn't recover. Um, so unbelievable performance from him, and he could be a name we're speaking about in a couple of years because he's one of those tough South Americans that will keep coming, like I say, teak tough, lots of energy, and you need to punch to get their respect, and he did not respect Ritson, who hasn't looked like the puncher he once was down at lightweight since moving up to 140. Um, I feel for Ritson, I really like the guy, like I like his character and stuff like that, and he absolutely blitzed his way through the domestic scene, but when he stepped up, he has lost clearly, he lost to Francesco Patera, that was a huge upset, and then this one here, I think that goes to show that he's really not going to end up being world level, um, yeah, all the best to Ritson, I'm not sure what he does from here, to be honest, it's a tough cookie, uh, moving out now to the final card to mention at the Virgin Hotels Las Vegas in Nevada. Over here on the undercard, uh, Jose Pedraza with a win against Julian Rodriguez. A lot of people not happy with this. Julian Rodriguez was the favorite, the, the up-and-coming young prospect, 21-0. Um, he decided to, you know, to retire on his store after eight rounds. He said he couldn't see. However... He had basically one eye kind of swollen up, and like I say, he, he, I don't know, a lot of people saying he quit there. He could have probably carried on for another another couple of rounds when it was finished. I'm not sure what happened there, but it, it, was, it was as I expected it would be, to be honest. I, I put quite a sizable bet down on Pedraza with the points win, so I was a bit annoyed because it was definitely going that way. He was unbelievable, Pedraza, and he showed that young gun that he's not quite ready for that level yet, or perhaps Jose Pedraza showed Bob Arum that he's not quite done yet. Um, he's now 29-3, and three, still one of my favorite fighters to watch at 140. Uh, Julian Rodriguez now 21-1. and one. He's got some, um, some demons there he's going to have to overcome if he's going to get anywhere, though. Um, close on the cards in the end, at the time of the stoppage, all three judges had it exactly the same, 77-75 for Pedraza. Um, moving on to the main event now. Um, yeah, moving on to the main event now. Um, Shakur Stevenson, now 16-0, friend of the show. He's now the new WBO interim super featherweight world champion. He was able to beat, very easily in the end, the the um, Namibian police officer and pub owner, Jeremiah Nakafila, who's now 21-2. and He won absolutely every round, Shakur Stevenson, and, of course, he dropped Nakafila. So, 120-107 across the board. Really underwhelming performance from Nakafila, who I felt, and I do still feel, is a very proud guy from Namibia. They don't have much success in boxing. Uh, they're usually very hungry. They're very tough. I thought that Shakur Stevenson would win on points anyway, so I, I was happy with the result in terms of my bank balance. But um, yeah, it just it just was quite shocking because Nakafila, like we, we've, we've been saying, goes by that nickname Low Key. He doesn't like to put any, any sparring clips or any training clips on social media. No one really knows how good he, he is or anything like that. And I felt he was really... Um, 
you know, disappointing. Uh, Nakafila, I felt, was very upright, very stiff. His balance was terrible. He was one-dimensional. All he seemed to have was a, was just a one-two. He didn't disguise it. Every single time, that was the shot he tried to throw. Um, he walked into that punch in the fourth round, and he went down. Soft knockdown. Um, Stevenson was, was you know, getting booed a hell of a lot throughout the fight. He wasn't really putting his foot on the gas. Nakafila was real negative, um, getting beaten to the punch every time. Too slow, too telegraphed. And like I say, a complete shutout. But I feel like he's been exposed badly, Nakafila, a guy that's been in that number one spot for such a long time. And he couldn't do anything with Shakur Stevenson. A lot of people, like I say, were frustrated with Shakur for not stepping on it. He could have perhaps got the stoppage. I'm not so sure. Um, I don't like to see fighters take risks just because the crowd's booing. I, I don't like that. I understand that, you know, safety first, as it should be in a sport this dangerous. However... There will be a lot of people moaning. There are a lot of people moaning. Um, and yeah, Nakafila, man. I'd like to see him in with a bunch of guys, perhaps domestically in the UK, I think, could could have a chance at beating him. Um, I know you didn't see the fight, Eddie, which is totally fine, but just um, give me your brief take on what I've said there. You know, very underwhelming performance from the challenger. Uh, well, not the challenger. It was for the vacant title, but from the guy coming from Africa who usually is a continent that brings a hell of a lot of heart even if they're limited they give it their all and it seemed like he didn't it seemed like Shakur could have done more but he didn't either 100 percent um in those kind of situations and I've talked to uh, Ant too about it and Ant was saying man he was just so defensive and so like careful you know what I mean uh, Shakur and he was saying he understood like it is the same thing I've dealt with it before when you get hit by something that maybe didn't hurt you but you right, you realize, man, I can't get caught by this guy. And I think maybe that could have been something that went along with it, or maybe the the reputation of maybe how he's such a puncher. Maybe somebody knew him and told him. Somebody that fought that kid told Shakur, hey, be careful, don't let this dude land on you, man. You know, or maybe he just wanted to shut him out. You know what I mean? And he felt like it would look good just being super sharp and super, you know, good defensively. And, just and, and and all of those things can be beneficial, but as far as for crowd pleasure, it's not gonna that's not gonna work. You know what I'm saying? And as far as the guy coming from Africa, normally they're tough. Normally they're they're coming to fight. Normally they'll take shots to give them and all of that. But with a guy like Shakur Stevenson, it's just it's a no-win situation with 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 him. And like you were saying, because I you know I didn't really see it. So like you were saying, he was really one-dimensional, coming forward. Throwing a one-two, basic one-two, not really disguising that, not really adding any any sauce to it to make it look different, or you know maybe changing the rhythm of it how it comes. You're not gonna land anything like that on him. You know what I'm saying? You're gonna basically be hitting air all night, and eventually you're gonna get this. Uh, it's gonna be a disappointing uh, feel that you're gonna have. You're gonna become like despondent and kind of down, and just you're gonna you're gonna be kind of out of the fight. You'll take yourself out of the fight just because of the success you're not having. You know what I'm saying? And then sometimes it is difficult, too, when you're in a fight with a guy like that, you'll get caught just doing one thing because you just don't feel – you don't have the confidence to try anything else. Your main plan of attack doesn't work. Why would anything that is different work? You understand what I'm saying? And to me, it seems like that's the kind of feel that he was – uh that he had in that in the ring that time. I didn't see it. I don't know. But just listening to what you said and hearing what Ann said about how uh, Shakur was really, really deep and defensive and extra careful, it would just really take the confidence away of a guy like that who really doesn't have much other than, you know, I'm going to come forward punching hard and try to knock you out with every shot. If you're not landing, how are you going to knock the guy out? How are you going to have an effect on the fight? And I think that that's probably what happened. He probably start. He probably end up putting his hands in his pocket and just said, "Man, I'm just gonna go the distance and and go home." You know, and I think that's what ended up happening. Yeah, and yeah, you're right. No rhythm on anything. Just coming forward in straight lines every time. No disguising. The same the same shots every time. And all he tried to do is whenever he seemed to trap Shakur in a in a corner, not with punches, but just Shakur ended up in a corner. He'd lunge forward with big left hooks and right hooks, and he'd miss wildly with them. It was really um, quite quite 
unbelievable. A lot of people are really shocked by how how bad his performance was. Uh, the other thing I will say is that um, every time that Shakur would touch him, and I'm not talking about with a power shot, I'm just talking about with a jab, whatever. Any time he would touch his body, he would like move back about a meter and a half, but like too late. So every time he, you know, Shakur would touch him, he jumped back like, "Oh, that was hot." You know, like it was like, "What are you doing? You're supposed to do that before the punch hits you." You know, every punch that Shakur hit him with, even if it was just a tap on the shoulder, he'd jump back like, "Whoa, get the hell out out of there!" And that doesn't look good in front of the judges, which, which by the way, I don't think um, it mattered in the end because, like I say, he he had no chance. As soon as he couldn't land that basic one-two, the first two punches you you learn in a boxing gym. Once he couldn't do that. That was the end of that. The writing was on the wall. Some people even saying they should have pulled him out just to save the embarrassment, but they are proud. They are proud men, and um, I don't think he would have allowed his corner to do that. But anyway, that's it for the review part. A little bit underwhelming as we end it there. That's it for that. The final thing for me to do is to welcome our first guest on this week's podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the former IBF world champion. It is, of course, Mr. Joseph Jojo Diaz. Jojo, welcome back on the show, my man. It's been a while. Yeah, it's been a long time, man, but I'm happy to be back. And uh, always a pleasure to hear you guys, uh, hear your voice. Hey, same to you, Joe. Same to you. So we last spoke back in October of 2019. It's been a while. It was a few months before that fight, of course, against Tevin Farmer. Um, I know it was some time ago now, but let's start with that fight briefly, Joe. You boxed to a level we'd never seen you box at before, so much so that some people were saying something was wrong with Tevin Farmer. <laughs> Tell me about that <laughs> night when you finally won a world title in the end. You finally got there. Oh, man, it was, uh, it was a night and a, and a dream come true, man. After uh, the hard work, the sacrifice, the many years that I put inside the gym, the, uh, all the sacrifice of my father and my myself and my, my parents and everybody that has been involved in my career, everything that we, we, we've been through, man, it, 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 it was just such a memorable moment where it was like a dream come true, man. It was a blessing in disguise, man. And I, I thank God for actually letting let me witness that and feel that moment because it was just a relief off of my back knowing that um, I worked my entire life to actually achieve that goal um it was a, it was a very very tough fight we know g- going into that fight that it was going to be a tough fight because Tevin Farmer is a very very slick defensive fighter but we knew what we had to do and we knew what was at stake and uh it was all or nothing for me at that time man and I really wanted to go out there and showcase to everybody what I'm all about and the skill level that I do have a lot of people they don't they still don't they still don't think that I'm an elite fighter, man, but I, I consider myself as one one of the elite fighters in the game right now um, with all the experience that I have and all the knowledge that I have as well as my my boxing skill and, and the way I – the way I um, – my presence – the way I bring my presence inside that ring, man, I'm, I'm a big factor inside that, inside that ring. So um, right away, man, I just dictated the pace with Tevin Farmer, started landing some body shots because I knew that – those body shots were going to be effective right from the jump. And um, I ended up getting a big old cut in the second round yeah. where um, I knew I knew that it was, you know, it was a really bad cut, but I still had to stick to the game plan. And I didn't want to change my game plan and, and, and start fighting on my back foot and let Tevin Farmer dictate the pace and let Tevin Farmer get that, you know, conserve his energy and move around and be able to do what Tevin Farmer does. I knew that I still had to go out risk at all and that's what I did man I changed my game plan a little bit by instead of you know pressuring that pressuring them and moving to the right and and landing a lot of and still being aggressive I was being aggressive still but I was making sure that I was moving a lot to the left so that way Tevin Farmer if he even if he did land a a shot on my eye it was just going to be a jab and I was going to be able to block the hooks and stuff like that so after that round, man, um, I was he he wasn't uh, able to land anything flush um, on that cut, and I was able to you know push through it, battle every single round, take it round by round, and ended up coming uh, victorious that night, man, and becoming the IBF World Champion. Yeah, and like I say, that cut, I will never know how your cut man managed to get it under control. It was unbelievable. Um, 
you know, after that, Jojo, and I can, all, all I can ever do is be honest. To, to lose the belt on the scouts before you even got to defend the title was hugely disappointing. Um, I remember when we last had you on the show back in 2019, you told me about the crazy shit that you had to do to try and make weight for Jesus Rojas. Um, obviously, that was at 126, but for you to, to, to miss weight at 130 was, as you know, a bit of a bad look. This led to rumours floating around that you weren't disciplined enough, that you hadn't taken training seriously. However, you're probably one of the most down-to-earth guys that I've spoken to, so I'm interested to hear your response to those kind of claims. Yeah, man, uh, at the end of the day, uh, there was a lot going on in my life uh, right after the Kevin Parker fight. All the gyms were closed, everything was all shut down. I that I wasn't going to fight for a long time because of the coronavirus and because of everything that was going on during that time right after the Kevin Parker fight. Um, so my main focus was just making sure that my fiancé uh, was was doing everything possible to be extremely healthy during a pregnancy. Um, I, I took some time off uh, from the boxing gym. I took some time off from boxing and just, you know, started focusing on my personal life and started focusing more on, on, on my fiancé to make, to make sure that she was very, very comfortable and she was happy and content with the pregnancy. And uh, we, we, we just made sure that my, my, my baby boy was, uh, the best and the healthiest that he possibly be, can be at that time, and man, I don't, I don't regret anything. Unfortunately, during that time, man, uh, during pregnancies and stuff, it, a lot of people they get a lot of, um, uh, I would say, uh, those those hung, those hungry urges, uh, especially especially the wives and and the girl the girl that is pregnant. And at that time, man, everything was closed down. I was. I was eating a lot as well with her and just enjoying our time off and enjoying our break where it was, uh, it got to a point where I looked in the mirror, man, and I, I checked my weight and I was like, oh shit, man, I'm, I'm pretty big right now. So then after that, I ended up started cutting down my weight. I tried as much as I can, man. I tried as much as I can. I, I trained every single day, tried as much as I can to lose as much weight as I could possibly. Um, I was, I'm, I'm not even, I'm not even going to, uh, I'm being straight out, uh, straight honest with you guys, man. I was about 35 to 40 pounds overweight at that time because because of everything going on. Um, so I tr uh, I had a I had an eight week training camp. Um, that during that eight week training camp, uh, two weeks into the into the training camp, they called me and said that the fight was actually going to get pushed um, a week a week before. At that time, I thought uh, nothing of it. I thought I was going to be able to make the weight because I, I, I already had everything scheduled. So I was like, okay, that's fine. But that uh, that week actually, you know, was a big factor into why I didn't make the weight. Um, my body just couldn't make it after uh, during the five weeks. I, I tried as much as I can. I, I was running. Uh, unfortunately, there was no sauna or anything during that time um, because of the coronavirus. So everything was still shut down during that time. So I, I couldn't make weight like how I usually do. I had to try to jog in place inside the, inside the, inside the, inside the, uh, inside the room and jump over inside the room. And it was just, it was just a, overall, it was just a, a crazy and hectic experience for myself, an experience that I have never, ever felt before. But um, at the end of the day, man, I'm just very, very happy that I was still able to compete. I, I personally thought I, I, I still did enough to beat the, the Russian, even even though given the fact that I was, you know, completely drained and completely dehydrated and my body wasn't um, at, at its full potential during fight night, but I thought I did enough to, you know, I had enough will and enough heart to fight my way through it and, and, and pull the victory, but the judges didn't see that. We ended up getting a draw, and it was just uh, it was just a really, really bad a really, really bad time in my life, man. I, I, I do regret it all because I mean, having the IBF belt was everything that I worked for, and uh, and all that. But I also don't. I also don't. Um, you know, I also don't. Um, I'm not. I'm also not satisfied about what happened because now I have a beautiful child and I have a beautiful baby boy, and, and he's the reason why I'm, I'm still continuing to fight and still continuing to risk my life inside that ring for the many years to come until my, my boxing career is retired. So that way my son could have uh, an amazing life. And um, I don't regret anything. Um, I just take it all as a learning experience. 
and I just gotta adapt for it, uh, adapt from it now, man. And I'm not looking, I'm, I'm, I'm not looking back at it. I'm just moving on forward and becoming the best fighter that I possibly could from here on out. And and getting obviously back back onto what's going on in the future, we can forget about the stuff in the past. Uh, you're up at lightweight for this next fight. Is that a permanent move to lightweight or just a trial phase, Joe? I could fight at 130 still. I could, I, and I am going to compete at 130 still. But right now, I want to challenge myself. And uh, a lot of people are ducking Javier Fortuna. Uh, you got Devin Haney, uh, Ryan Garcia, uh, Jorge Linares. All these guys, you know, have ducked uh, this this guy Javier Fortuna, and he's a dangerous, dangerous opponent. And I feel like I have a lot to, you know, to uh, to bring back to the fight fans, man. Especially of what my out the outcome that happened to my last fight. I feel like I got to redeem myself, and I feel like I can redeem myself. Um, in such a fight with Javier Fortuna because I know what I'm capable of doing and I want to challenge myself and I want to give the fight fans a very, very exciting and intriguing fight. So I'm challenging myself to move up to 135. I'm very, very comfortable at that weight as well. I feel like um, my, my strength and uh, everything is just going to be able to uh, showcase uh, that night. I'm not going to be able to, I'm not going to be, you know, Cutting, cutting uh, that five, five more pounds. Five more pounds is a lot of weight, and um, it, it does take a toll uh, to a lot of fighters. And I feel like with that five extra pounds that I'm going to have coming into fight night, uh, I'm going to be able to carry a lot of more strength and a lot of endurance and a lot of conditioning where my, my skill set and, and the, my performance that night is going to be one of my best performances. I feel like it's going to be an even better performance than the Tevin Farmer fight. I feel like this fight is going to make me the superstar that I deserve to be. Yeah, and obviously you spoke about your opponent, Javier Fortuna, the man Ryan Garcia was supposed to be fighting until he pulled out. Uh, the fight takes place July 9th in California. Um, you spoke about Fortuna there a little bit, I guess. My question was going to be what are your thoughts on him. You kind of explained it, I guess. But yeah, real solid fighter, Joe, and not a easy fight to move up to 135 with, really. Yeah, man, and, and that's the thing about me, man. I, I like I like accepting all the challenges. I'm I'm the type of guy that never backs down from any any challenge. I fear I fear no human. The only person I fear is God, and I feel like God actually created this opportunity for me for a reason. Um, I prayed a lot uh, during my time off and and after after my fight, and I was trying to you know uh, get an opportunity to showcase to everybody and get a big fight and a big opportunity for I could be back to to the top where I, where I deserve to be. And this opportunity became, man, where Ryan Garcia ended up pulling out. I feel like it was just all the right signs from God for me to, you know, take 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 on this challenge. Uh, I know it's a tough, tough challenge, but I'm up for it, man. I've, I've always challenged the best fighters in, in every weight that I, I've competed in. Uh, Jesus Rojas, um, Gary Russell Jr., Tevin Farmer, uh, the Russian guy that I just fought, and now Javier Fortuna, man. So, um, I'm I'm the type of person that wants to be successful, but in the right way by by challenging myself and fighting the best fighters uh, that I possibly can. And I feel like this fight is gonna is gonna really showcase my skill and showcase the elite the elite talent that I am. Javier Fortuna is very very dangerous. He throws a lot of shots. He's kind of awkward, um, but it's nothing that I haven't seen before. I I've, I've, I've been sparring guys 160 pounds, 165 pounds. Been able to take that power. Um, been, been, I fought a, a lot of awkward guys before. Guys that are fast, like Gary Russell Jr. Guys that are slick, like Kevin Farmer. So I feel like whatever Javier tries to bring to the table come fight night, I feel like my experience that I have inside the ring and that knowledge that I have from all my previous fights is gonna is gonna be beneficial for me and it's gonna showcase and um, come fight night. And I feel like Javier Fortuna had a lot of tough challenges before. But he's never faced a guy like me, and I feel like I'm his toughest challenge to date. And the fight, of course, is for the interim WBC lightweight world title. With the WBC lightweight situation, though, it is quite confusing. You've got the franchise champion being Lopez. The world champion is Devin Haney. Who would you be in line to fight if you come through this fight here, Joe? Yes, uh, I mean, like I said, man, if the opportunity presents itself where I can fight, Devin Haney for the title, absolutely, I'll take it. Even Teofima Lopez, I'll I'll take it, man. I feel like I could 
I could go back to 130 or I could stay at 135. I feel like my body is is mature enough to make either either weight uh, depending on on the fight and depend depending on uh, the opportunity. So I'm willing to challenge anybody from those weight classes right now. I feel like I said I feel like my body is able to still make 130, but also compete at 135. So whatever tough challenge is next for me, the toughest challenge that is next for me, I'm actually I'm absolutely going to take it without any hesitation. And Joe, who is at the very top of your radar? You speak about 130 and 135. Who is maybe give me, give me like the top name aside from Fortuna that you want to, you know, you want to fight in the future. I want to fight Oscar Valdez, Devin Haney, and Ryan Garcia. How do those fights end, Jojo? I, I, I honestly think me and Oscar Valdez will be an intriguing fight, man. I think that fight will go the distance because of the heart that both of us have. Oscar Valdez is a very, very strong, tough fighter that has a lot of will. And, I mean, that motherfucker got his jaw broke uh, in one fight and still kept fighting. So Scott Quigg. I know that yeah, he has Scott uh, Quigg fight, yeah. Yeah, I know, that he has a, I know that he has a really, really strong heart and very, very strong-minded. And I know that he won't give up. So I think that fight will, will be a tough fight. But I think my boxing skills and the, my, my ring generalship inside that ring will be the, 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 the factor to my victory that night. Um, Ryan Garcia... I think uh, my body shots will, will will break him down just as long as it just just and it goes the same with Devin Haney, man. I feel like my body shots will will break this guy will break these guys down, and also the experience that I have inside that ring. I feel like these guys are still young and up and coming and haven't got that 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 uh, professional experience um, enough to you know to uh, to challenge and, and to defeat a guy like myself. Okay, there we go. And just finally, Joe, if you've got any closing words, like I say, it's been a long time since we've had you on. You you already know yourself. There's tons of guys in the UK that absolutely love what you do and support you in every fight. What's your message to those guys before we wrap it up? To all my fight fans in the UK, I want to say thank you guys for all your support. Thank you guys for still riding uh, with me through all these ups and downs in my career. Um Unfortunately, man, like I said, I'm very, very sorry for losing my belt. Um, but I promise you guys, I'm challenging myself with a tough, tough challenger, uh, Javier Fortuna, come July 9th. And you guys are not going to be disappointed. I'm going to go out there and give you guys a, an exciting, intriguing fight, a, a war. And it's going to be um, one of my best performances uh, in my whole entire career. So make sure you guys tune in July 9th. Like I said, thank you guys once again for you guys' support. And I won't let you guys down come fight night. There we go. That's a promise. Listen, Joe, I really mean it when I say it's always great speaking with you. Best of luck for July 9th. Thanks for your time, and I hope we can speak again before the year's out. I appreciate it. Thank you, man. God bless you guys. Okay, now it's time for part two on this week's show. This part, of course, the news part of the show. We're going to start here with the fact that Matchroom um, have announced Fight Camp is back. They're going to return with three back-to-back weekends um, to kick off their, you know, their five-year deal with the Zone that's going to start in the UK. Um, going to start from, um, you know, in chronological order. July 31st will start, then go on to August 7th and August 14th. So, week one, uh, the, the main event for that one, Connor Ben against Adrian Granados. Elsewhere on the card, we have Tommy McCarthy against Chris Billum Smith. We get to see Shannon Courtney in action. We get to see uh, Campbell Hatton, Sandy Ryan, Avni Yildirim against Jack Cullen, and um, we get to see Roberto Garcia of Mexico against our very own Anthony Fowler. Week 2, um, August 7th, we get to see for the world title, the vacant IBF uh, world featherweight title, Kid Galahad against Jazza Dickens in their rematch from about seven years ago. Um, elsewhere on the card, the undefeated, I think it's Maxim Prodan against Florian Marku. Somebody's L must go. Um, you've got also Josh Sandland against Johnny Fisher. Um, you've got Fabio Wardley in action as well. Ellie Scottney, Akib Fiaz. Um, you've got Ebony Bridges coming back to take on Beck Connolly. A bit of a pointless fight, to be honest, but 
Ebony bridges is back, a lot of eyes on her. Alan the Savage Babich gets out as well on that card. And week three, on the 14th of August, Josh Buatzi takes on Ricards Bolotniks, the guy that won the Golden Contract MTK Global Tournament. Um, I'm not sure what's going on about that because I haven't heard anything about him signing any Golden Contracts. Same for O'Hara Davies, but he gets in against Buatzi. Um, elsewhere on that card, we get to see Michael McKinson back out again off his win over um, Chris Congo. He takes on um, a guy called Ranowski. That's a Polish fighter that boxed Josh Kelly just before he went out to the States and got his draw um, against Ray Robinson. Elsewhere on that card, Savannah Marshall defends her world title. You've got Natasha Jonas back out again. You've got Raymond Ford of the US coming over to take on um, Reese Bellotti. You've also got Hopi Price, Cash Farouk, and Felix Cash as well getting out. Um, that is it for those three events there. Um, it's been announced as well, of course, the rematch. Wilder um, Fury 3, not the rematch, the rubber match. Um, the trilogy fight, July 24th in Las Vegas. Um, and... The final piece of news is that... Oh, no, actually, there's, there's, there's one uh, two bits. Um, firstly, that the card that we were going to be previewing at the very last minute has fallen through. That card, of course, being Tiafimo Lopez on Triller. Tiafimo Lopez has got coronavirus, so the whole card has been pulled off. So very, very late on in the week to find that out. Everyone on the bill very, very upset especially George Cambosos Jr., who really wanted to cause an upset and become the undisputed champion. So he's not fighting against Tiafimo. The undercard has fallen through, which of course consisted of Michael Hunter, um, John O'Carroll, Andy Vences, Mike Wilson, friend John Cruz. So a lot of people pulled off of that one. And the final piece of news, I'm going to come to you, Eddie. Um, heavyweight, obviously former Olympic gold medalist. I think he might have picked up some version of a title as a pro. Alexander Povetkin has decided to call it a day after his loss to Dillian White back in March in Gibraltar. Um, obviously, Eddie, you knew him very well. You know, you went 12 with him. Um, and, you know, you, you paid close attention to him before and after your fight. What was your... Um, yeah, just sum it up. Su sum up his career and obviously... You know, we we wish him well in retirement, I guess. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, he's had a really, really good career. You know what I mean? I'm, I don't know if it's Hall of Fame worthy or anything like that, but he had a really good career. He's fought some of the biggest names from, you know, in the 2010s to the 20 uh, to to this to this generation as well. So his career, and he he did win a title. I think he had the, was it the BA or the, I think it was the BA that he won and had. I kind of wish that I would have took more of his path and when I had my opportunity to fight Vladimir and kind of just sit on that number one spot for a while, fight some guys that were a little more realistic at the time, and I think I would have ended up having an opportunity like that too. But we're talking about him. and I think the decisions that were made with him, the way he fought, always really good guy, honorable, uh, trained. You could tell he worked hard. You know what I mean? And he, and he was able to last. He had a lasting career. Even taking some of the punishment he's taken – and some of the fights he's had, you know, with some of these guys. And he's still, even at a higher, you know, older age, of, you know, at advanced, if you want to, so to speak, you want to say age, as um, as a fighter, he was he was still competing at the highest level. So, you know, in retirement, I got to respect, well, in, in general, you just got to respect his career and you wish him the best in retirement. And hopefully uh, he does something half as good as he was able to do uh, in his boxing career yeah well said Eddie and you're right you know he boxed a, a, a few generations of fighters and always had that power that 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 left hook from hell um, I never forget when he knocked out David Price in Cardiff one of the most brutal knockouts I've seen especially been um, in person at the fight as well that was brutal mm. Um, mm. moving on to the preview part of the show we're going to start here in Germany at the Universum Gym in Hamburg. One, well, a couple of fights to mention over here. It's a bit of a 
it's quite a big card, I guess, for, for German standards these days. Felix Sturm, former world champion, 41-5 with three draws. He's in a 10-rounder against James Kraft, who's undefeated 19-0 with a draw. Elsewhere on the card, Senad Gashi, who's 21-3, is in a 10-rounder against the undefeated Hussein Mohammed, who's 16-0. That one's for the WBC International silver heavyweight title, which is currently vacant. Elsewhere on the card, Vincent Feigenberts, 32 and 3. I'm not sure if he's boxed since he lost to Caleb Plant. He gets in against tough um, African fighter Nuhu Lawal, who's 27 and 8. I think I remember him boxing Martin Murray in Monaco years ago, if I'm not mistaken. Moving out now to Mexico, the Estadio Jalisco in Guadalajara. Over here. Omar Chavez, 38-6 with a draw, takes on the brother of, um, of, of Canelo, Ramon Alvarez, who's 28-8 with three draws. That's over 10 rounds. But the main attraction on that bill, Julio Cesar Chavez Jr., 52-5 with a draw in an eight-rounder against the UFC's Anderson Silva. Um, he's 1-1 one one as a pro boxer. I don't think he's boxed for about 20 years professionally. But it's going down there. Um, yeah, very man. interesting. <laughs> wow. Uh, man, these, these, you know, these days, boxing is getting closer and closer. Now, no disrespect, and, and trust me, the fights are fights. If you're fighting somebody in the ring, you know, no matter what the politics were beforehand or after or whatever, the fight itself is still a fight. However, it is still getting very close to WWE. Uh, it's more about popularity, man, honestly, than than actual, you know, real boxing. I don't want to say real boxing, but, you know, it's just I don't it's more if you if you're a popular guy and you could be from another sport, you can be a football player, a basketball player, a soccer player whatever. And if you have a lot of fame in that format, even now you could be a YouTuber. And you're gonna be more, <laughs> and you're gonna get bigger, more money, uh, uh, bigger money fights than fighters that've been fighting their entire life. And hey, look, it is what it is. You know, it's it's getting more eyes on the sport. Basic people, uh, lay fans who don't really know boxing are starting to become interested because of it. So I'm not too mad at it. It's just that man, you look at these guys who worked their lives, their entire lives, had to do crazy stuff just to be able to go to a gym, and then you see guys who are like, oh well. Might be fun to go box, and they making millions of dollars when these guys who worked their whole life could barely make thousands. And it's just, it's unreal to see it. But I mean, at the end of the day, you know, hey, do what you got to do, do what you can, or and, and and make that money the best way you can, I guess. He is getting crazy. I do agree. Moving out now to the Double Tree Miami Mart Hotel in Florida. Over here, we'll be speaking to her in a few minutes. Melissa Odessa Parker. Uh, she was a good amateur. She is wasting no time as a professional. 4-0 in a 10-2-minute round contest against Callista Silgado, who is a seven-time world title challenger. Um, she's 19-12 and 12 with three draws. It's for the vacant IBO world female bantamweight title. Moving out now to the Virgin Hotels, Las Vegas in Nevada, USA. At the minute, no real announcement on the full undercard, so... Still unsure as to who's going to be on the undercard, but the main event is all that really matters. It is Naoya Inoue, 20-0, defending his WBA and IBF World Bantamweight titles against Michael Das Marinas, who boasts a record of 30-2 with a draw. Um, always good to see Naoya Inoue box. Even that one fight where, you know, he didn't, I guess looked fantastic, was against Nonito Donaire, which was still one of the best fights in years, in my opinion. You know, 17 knockouts in 20 wins as a small guy is just remarkable. And like I say, he gets in there with this guy from the Philippines, a southpaw, whose nickname, by the way, is fantastic. His nickname is Hot and Spicy. Um, it'll be interesting to see what he can do. But no, decent fighter, hasn't lost for um for, for six years and a bit and he's been in there with some decent opposition the guy's been in with some decent guys no one of course to this level but we shall see he can bang he's quite tough himself we shall see um elsewhere moving out now to the toyota center in houston texas usa over here this one is the final card to mention um 
let's start with the undercard. Friend of the show, former world champion Angelo Leo, looking to bounce back after losing to Stephen Fulton. His record now 20-1. and one. He's in a 10-rounder against Aaron Alameda, who's 25-1. and one. That's a great fight, by the way. Really tough fight to come back uh, to come back. Uh, after that loss as well to Fulton in in the fashion that he lost because he just could not hang with Fulton. Fulton was amazing that night and um, Angelo Leo, it was one of those kind of I don't want to say beatings, but it was, it was you know, he, he, I don't think he really won a round. And it was one of those kind of fights where you lose like that, you wonder about the fighter's mentality or mindset or you just don't know. It's one of those demoralizing losses. That's what I think it was. And it's going to be interesting to see how he comes back. Because, like I say, no gimme at all with with Aaron Alameda. Um, his one loss came to Lewis Neary. He went the distance with him. They're both coming off losses. So, interesting stuff. Um, Isaac Cruz Gonzalez, 21-1 with a draw in a 10-rounder against Francisco Vargas, 27-2 with two draws. That's another great fight. Vargas is actually the underdog, which I was quite surprised to learn. Um, you know, his, his two losses came to the same man in Miguel Burchelt. No shame in those. I think that's a great fight. I actually smell an upset there. I think Vargas could win that one. And the main event, it is... Well, it, it, it was very much criticised when it got announced as part of this Showtime boxing schedule. It was probably the weakest main event of the lot. But we must talk about it. Jamal Charlo, 31-0, defending his WBC middleweight world title against Juan Macias Montiel, a guy that a lot of people didn't even know, um, you know, until this fight got made. He wasn't a guy that was being spoken about anywhere near the top end of the middleweight rankings. Um... His record's 22-4 and four with two draws. All 22 of his wins have come by or have come by knockout. So that's interesting. He's a Mexican fighter, six foot one. So um, he's got a little bit of height, just slightly over Charlo. But yeah, I mean, you look down the record, he's coming off a first round knockout win against James Kirkland. I think you remember that one, Eddie, where, you know, Kirkland shouldn't yeah. be fighting anymore. That was back in, in, in December of 2020. He's got a draw with Hugo Centeno Jr. Um, I don't think that really bodes well, seeing as he has lost to Jamal Charlo in two rounds himself back in 2018. So that tells a little bit of a story. Um, but yeah, Montiel, in his four losses, he's only been stopped once. It was to Jaime Munguia back in 2017. He got stopped in two rounds. Other than that, his other losses have all come... Um, on points, but those knockouts that he's managed to gather, I'm just going to go through it here. Um, he, here's the guy's record who he's who he's actually knocked out and beat: zero and eight, debutant; zero and five, zero and two, zero and eight, three and five, debutant; zero and one, um, one and twenty-two, one and zero, oh, nine and two, nine and fourteen. 5 and 22, 16 and 4, that's by far the best one, 10 and 15, 5 and 24, 6 and 1, 8 and 19. Um, and actually, he did knock out a guy in 2015 who was 19 and 0. Um, but yeah, that that's quite a good win, actually, because that guy went on to, to go to distance and lose to Ericsson Lubin. Um, who else has he knocked out? Let's have a little look here. He knocked out a guy who was 16 and 17, 37 and 5. I guess they get a little bit more legit as he kind of steps up in level. But still, these guys that he's knocked out, even that guy there, 37 and 5, Marco Reyes. Um, yeah, he's been he's been beaten three times since then on the trot. Um, yeah, I mean, the best, best, best win by far on his record is that one, uh, that, 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 that one win back in... December over James Kirkland, so I'm not gonna, yeah, I'm not. I think that's an easy, easy night's work really there for Jamal Charlo and someone of his capabilities. Uh, just before we wrap it up, Eddie, if you want to have any kind of say on that on that fight there before we wrap it up. Well, uh, I don't really know uh, much about the guy we were just talking about. No but... one does. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. So I know it's a little bit of a you know people are looking at that like why is he fighting him. 
I mean, I, I think I think they're preparing for obviously something you know major, and he's fighting this guy because it looks to be a safe bet. But so did uh, Banana when he fought um, Julian, uh, you know Julian, you know what I mean? J Rock. That looked like a pretty soft situation. You know, you would figure he would have been able to go in and win. So you never know, man. Some of these unknown guys can all of a sudden show up one day and. Upset your whole upset the apple cart. It can happen, but in reality, we know what's going to happen. And hopefully, after that, we'll see Jamel. Was it Jamal or Jamel? Um, Jamal, Jamal. Okay, well, then we'll probably see them in a in a fight that we've been looking forward to seeing them in soon. Hopefully, but it's just something I'm pretty sure to stay busy and keep uh, the titles and everything going, and uh, you know. And have people see them, you know what I mean? Because getting in front of the camera, even and looking good, reinforces your your uh, status in boxing. So, you know, it's uh, it's good. It's good to see them out. Of course, I, you understand why people are skeptical, but it's still a fight at the end of the day, and we'll see what happens. Yeah, and the guy actually did manage to get to number four in the WBC rankings. He's currently ranked number four. So um, he's done well to get himself there. But anyway, that's it for the preview part of the show. Just before we wrap up this, the final thing for me to do is to welcome our second and final guest on this week's podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the undefeated bantamweight contender, Miss Melissa Odessa Parker. Melissa, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be on with you. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on. So firstly, Melissa, just give our listeners a little bit of, of insight into your life, your story, what got you into boxing in the beginning. Uh, for those that aren't familiar with your name just yet, I'm sure they will be in the in the very near future. Well, I'm Melissa Odessa. You can find me on the Melissa Parker, but I started boxing about 20 years ago. I'm originally from Brooklyn, New York. And my mom had moved us to Connecticut, and that's where I learned about amateur boxing, and I got into it. And from the first day I trained, I just fell in love with the sport and the complexity of it. I wound up moving back to New York and continuing to box. I've moved around between being on the U.S. team. I was enlisted in the Marines as well as the Army, and I fought for both their teams, the all-Marine boxing team and the world-class athlete program in the Army. I'm a nine-time national champion. I've won almost every tournament there is in the U.S., but I did fall short for the Olympics. I made the world team twice. I left the amateurs 89 and 22, and I recently turned pro last year, August. Wow. So yeah, it has been quite a journey. Uh, thanks for, for for that information. You mentioned you were you were born in Brooklyn, um, and and you obviously did the move to Connecticut. You were in Texas for a while as well, right? Well, oh yes, I left that out back in 2012. My family and I moved to Houston, Texas, and that has been my primary residence. But I travel between Texas, New York, and Florida. Um, due to training camps I go where the work is okay so there's a lot of um, different I guess ways of life in all those different states you you frequent <laughs> most definitely for where I'm at it's super important to me that I have a solid team and that I'm able to train the way I know I'm capable of because this is a really dangerous sport I've been doing it for a really long time so I've had several injuries now unless I can do it my way I'm not looking to continue boxing. I've accomplished a lot. I like the idea of being a world champion. It's something that I've wanted to do for a long time, but I was going after the Olympics. But now as a pro, I have a chance to do things different. And I'm definitely taking that approach this time around. So I have my head coach, Kenny Johnson, who I met during a week, a one-week training camp that Signature Punch Promotions was holding so that all the athletes can meet each other and become familiar with the promoter. And just working with him, I was very happy with the way we connected. So I decided to stay in Tampa, Florida and do my two-month training camp. And I want to ask you as well, what is the sparring like down there? Do you, do you get to spar with, with women or is it mainly guys you spar with? It's mainly men. I, I have sometimes issues sparring with women, especially if they're in between camps and they're not fighting. 
because then you, I'm going too hard and I'm getting ready for a world championship fight. So I can't hold back. I have to be able to work on the things I know I need to do. So it's mostly been men this training camp. Okay. And obviously some people are fans of women's boxing. Some people aren't. I always try to validate women's boxing as much as I can. I, I like to tell the listeners, you know, what's going on in, in the big fights and stuff like that. Um, there isn't always that depth, I guess. There isn't always that competition in all the weight classes. But this brings me on to your amateur career because you mixed it with some excellent fighters in the amateurs. You're not wasting any time as a professional. But just briefly, tell me what it was like to you know, mix it in the amateurs with the likes of Michaela Meyer, Selena Barrios, Marlon Esparza, and all the other ladies. As I've said before, man, the pros don't scare me or intimidate me because I don't think these current professional fighters are tougher than the amateurs I came up fighting against. I have fought um, Michaela Mayer at 132. I fought Marlene Esparza at 112. Um, I fought quite a few of the um, amateur boxers who are now pro. I never got a chance to fight Katie Taylor. It was set up. I was supposed to go to Ireland. And unfortunately, um, it got canceled for whatever reason her team felt they needed to um, choose a different opponent. But I had even dropped my classes in college because I was like, I'm going to fight Katie Taylor. (laughs) (laughs) So I was pretty disappointed. I don't think I was a very good student because it was an excuse, but... (laughs) I've been able to get in there with some of the best of the best, even upcomings. And it it showed me that once I turn pro, I don't need time to waste. I have the round experience. I've been doing this off and on for 20 years. I have over 100 fights. I don't need to warm up in the pros. I recovered from my injuries, so I wanted to hit the ground running. And it's exciting because I'm not looking to go against all the women I went against in the amateurs. There's a few who I have a loss to that, of course, have given the opportunity, like Maureen Shea. But I understand that she's been a champion. So I'm going to have to earn her wanting to go against me. So some of the fighters like that, I need to collect the belt or I know they're not going to face me if I'm not carrying any hardware in their division. I'll tell you what, that's a incredibly tasteful answer we don't really get that a lot that is a brilliant answer full of energy there and that's exciting to listen to um you mentioned you've only been a pro since october you've managed to be quite active in that time though four fights um aside from your debut fight in which you fought another girl making her debut those three other ladies all had winning records so like we say you're really not wasting any time things are moving smooth it seems from the outside looking in well all the things that happen behind closed doors to make this happen, I'll tell you it has not been a smooth ride, but I refuse to be discouraged. I believe that perseverance and being patient is what's going to get me in that position. So, yeah, I like to call out the champions. Um, I've been, you know, shut down, turned down, told I don't meet the prerequisites for certain titles or certain fighters have mandatories or sickness or whatever the case may be and can't fight me. But I'm just going to stay patient. My team has placed me in a position now to be a world title, um, world champion. And so that's going to make a statement. I'm going against Calista Salgado, who is durable and has a bunch of experience. And she just recently fought um, Chow and Mayer. And they couldn't, you you know, they had great fights against her. So it's just going to showcase my skills when I go against her. And I'm that should get the attention because I'll do whatever it takes to either become a mandatory or get one of those belts because I know unifications trump mandatories. So I'm just going to play the game the way it's meant to be played and I'm going to continue working hard and I'm going to whoop on these girls until I have all the hardware. <laughs> and as you mentioned, your your next fight is penciled in for uh, June 19th this this weekend in Miami, Florida for the vacant IBO world title. Um, originally, it was supposed to be, if I'm not mistaken, against Rosalinda Rodriguez. I'm not 100% sure if it was signed or not. We'll get to that. But there seemed to be a lot of bad blood. I was really looking forward to the fight. But, of course, Rodriguez pulled out. What seemed to happen? Why did she pull out? <laughs> the... I- 
I can't look at her medical records, so I don't know what the blood work came back with. But from my understanding, from what I know, I think, and I heard rumors, seasonal allergies and um, trouble just being able to get proper rest and not feeling well. And I don't understand it because she felt just fine for her tune-up fight, which was part of the agreement in order to fight me. She was provided a tune-up. And then all of a sudden, she was just too sick to fight. But then when I announced I had a new opponent, she resumed posting, showing that she's been training. So in my opinion, I believe that she's just trying to buy time because she knows that if she goes against me, she needs to be in tip-top shape. And the way she performed that night definitely isn't it. And I would most likely have stopped her within four um, just from the performance I saw. So kudos to her for finding a loophole and finding a way not to deal with the consequences, but get out the fight. But now I'm her mandatory. She will not be fighting until she faces me. We have a contract and I'm focused on this fight and she's lost my interest. So unless my team tells me we're going to, go against each other i have my eye on those who already have hardware and my last question on Ros- rosalina um is that a fight you think is probably not gonna happen now or do you think it, it will happen in the future it's not my call because like i said we're under contract i can say mm-hmm. whatever i want but when it comes down to what i'm obligated to do that's going to be a whole different story i don't care to fight her at this point she brings nothing to the table now. It doesn't excite me. So at this point, I have to be told this is your next fight and I will fight her. But the fight has to make sense. We're still on the contract. And I know that she will not be fighting until she faces me. Okay. And moving on to the replacement opponent, obviously, it's fantastic that the, the same date is locked in. Uh, that's 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 a great thing. The fight remains as well for the IBO world title. You will now be boxing the, the hard-punching Colombian, Calista Silgado, who, if we're including interim world titles, she's a seven-time world title challenger. Uh, tell me, Melissa, what else do you know about this this lady who hits hard? I know that she knows how to put her weight behind her punches and she tries to take your head off. And that makes it an interesting fight for me because I don't back down against anyone. And I haven't fought yet in the pros any females that have hit me hard enough to make me respect them in my past four fights. So it's going to be interesting to see what kind of pressure she puts on me or if she's going to try to create some distance and box me. But I have a feeling she's going to come She's going to be ready for a war, and I've been preparing for nothing but a war. So this is definitely a fight that's going to showcase both our talents, and it's going to show that I'm just on another level. Even though I've been inactive for the past five years and I just came back and it's been under a year, I only have four fights. I've been trying to express to everyone, I've been doing this a while. I know Box Rec has my amateur record messed up, but (laughs) don't believe the hype. I've been in with the best, and Kalisa is just another stepping stone. She's no threat to me. Okay, and just finally, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit here, Melissa. Um, I like to ask this question to everyone that we speak to from overseas. The listeners love to hear the answer to this. Who springs to mind when I ask, who's your favorite UK fighter? It can be any era. It can be male or female. You make up the rules, but who springs to mind when I ask you that question? And you said it could be male or female? Male or female. It can be from any era. A hundred years ago up until today. Uh, whoever springs to mind. Well, I, I'll i be honest. I only know of the popular fighters from the UK. Mm-hmm. But I definitely will put more um, into learning about it. But I know Anthony Joshua and Tyson Fury. But I really... I would have to hear the names and be like, oh, okay, I didn't know she's specifically from the UK because I don't watch a lot of women's boxing. I just started recently watching it. I'm not a boxing fanatic, but I love to do the sport. Okay, that answer is good enough for me. And just finally, Melissa, if you've got any closing words just to the listeners, also please give them your social media platforms where they can follow you and get on this journey. You can follow me on both 
Instagram and Twitter at Melissa Odessa. June 19th, Title Fight Night 2 will be on in Miami. So whether you want to grab some tickets and watch or purchase the pay-per-view at SignaturePunchTickets.com and just get ready to see one heck of a card being put on, including me, the co-feature for the IBO world title. There we go. Brilliant. And like I say, for anyone that wants to that wants to follow, it is at Melissa Odessa, which is M-E-L-I-S-S-A-O-D-D-E-S-S-A. So go and follow that. But listen, Melissa, it's been a real pleasure speaking with you. Thank you so much for your time, and I look forward to seeing you become IBO World Champion this weekend. Thank you. It's been a pleasure, and hopefully we'll do this again soon. Okay, and this wraps up episode 296 of the Box Hard Podcast. I've been your host, Joey Coastman. Eddie Chambers has been with me for the duration of the show. A massive thank you to our two guests on this week's podcast, the former IBF Super Featherweight World Champion, Joseph Jojo Diaz, and of course, the undefeated female bantamweight contender, Miss Melissa Odessa Parker. The biggest thanks of all, though, goes out to you, the listeners. Thank you once again for tuning in this week. There has been one piece of news break whilst we've been recording the show. Joe Joyce will be fighting Carlos Takam. That one is set for July 24th at the Wembley Arena in London. But that's about everything from myself. Enjoy your weekends people. Stay safe and we shall see you all again next week.